It's Wednesday Wonders, science fiction and fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Hello and welcome to Reimagined Radio, a program that explores radio as a storytelling platform. I'm John Barber, producer and host. Thanks for listening. This episode of Reimagined Radio presents the Willamette Radio Workshop, based in Portland, Oregon, performing two short stories, Hero and Liling and The Martian Death March. Both are directed by Sam A. Mowry. First up is Hero and Liling, an original love story by Portland writer Christina Jones. Inspired by Japanese folklore, Hero and Liling unfolds as an old man teaches his grandchild the legend of an ancient rock formation. Poignant and hopeful, potent and reflective, Hero and Liling is one of the best works to come out of the Willamette Radio Workshop's 2004 Writers on the Air Workshop, directed by Cynthia McGean. Let's listen now to Hero and Liling. The Willamette Radio Workshop presents Hero and Liling by Christina Armetta. What are you doing, Grandfather? Mending my nets. See how I pass the shuttle between these two strings? Then I push it through like this to make a hole and a knot like that. See? Then the fish won't slip through and we will have them for dinner. Can I try? Yes. Hold it uh, like like this, uh-huh. and take up your shuttle. Now, now thread the string through, like this. Uh. You can do it, little one. Try. It, it is very difficult. Maybe I I could just watch you do it for a while. Maybe you could tell me a story. I know, Grandfather. You could tell me the story of those two rocks out there. You always said you would one day. Is it one day, Grandfather? Is it? (laughs) Yes. Yes, perhaps it is, little one. Today is a good day for you to hear the story of Hero and Leeling. Yes, those are the names of those two interesting rocks leaning very close to each other, almost as if they could see into each other's faces. And the tale is very old and very dear to the hearts of our village, you know. It's part of all our lives since anyone can remember Oh, tell me, Grandfather, tell me. All right, little one. Patience, please. I will begin. Look hard at the rocks now. Concentrate on them and let your mind relax. Just let go and really see them. Long, long ago, our country of Japan was a strong seafaring nation with a great many ocean-going vessels and many sailors and seamen. One of the greatest of these was Admiral Hiro Hoshidai. He was a very great leader and a fair and honorable man. Hiro-san was loved and respected by his men and by his family and by the shogun. 
He had led many successful sea battles, and was slowly winning the country of China itself for his lord. But even with all that glory and power, Hirosan was sad. Perhaps it was because he had seen so much suffering in his life, so much death. Perhaps because he himself had taken too many lives. He was feeling old and tired, and he wondered if all that glory was worth all that blood. When our story begins, Hirosan was on board his vessel, the Golden Eagle. It was a splendid ship, large, well-equipped, with lots of guns and armaments, and very good seasoned warriors serving under him. The shogun had ordered the Golden Eagle, her master and her crew, to make war on an important coastal city in China. Hiro had arrived, anchored his ship, and sent his men off to sack the city. It was the dead of night. Hiro was waiting for a sign from his first mate to come and lead the final attack. He stood on deck and watched the ruin before him. People running everywhere. Fighting men were killing the frightened people and plundering the houses and stores. Hiro's view from the Golden Eagle was very clear. Terrible to see this. Terrible but just. Oh, the flames are crackling, devouring everything with their hungry mouths, shining their blood-red light on the blood of the slaughtered people. My men, taking, taking. Greedy. One more battle in one more war. Oh, gods. Amitabha Buddha. Where does it end? I'm tired. My heart is sick. So tired. There's the signal I must prepare. But wait. What is that on the shore? A child? No, no. The boy? The girl? Where is my glass? It was a girl Hero had seen. A young Chinese woman, Li Ling. Earlier in the evening she had fallen asleep after a busy day spent helping her mother and father in their pottery store. In the middle of the night, Li Ling and her brothers and sisters were awakened by screams of terror and the sound of breaking pots and strange voices and the smell of smoke. That's it then. Parents and the children. No one left. You're sure? Yes. Did you find anything of value? Anything for us? Not yet. Let's check the pedestal. Lily waited for a time until she could hear any voices or footsteps. Then she heard the crackling noise of fire and realized that her home was in flames and her family dead. With what direction she ran and ran. She found herself on the beach, staggering back and forth, screaming into the night. After a ship, Hero had seen her. The girl. She is terrified. Enough death. I must act. Even that one little life. I, I must save her. In a matter of a minute or two, he had beached the landing boat and waded through the surf to the shore. Leeling had not heard Hero approach. Her back was to him as she sat slumped on the beach, weeping. Girl! Girl! Grabbing her roughly by the arm, Hero lifted Leeling to her feet. As she turned to face him, she screamed with terror. Hero was a mighty warrior, and in his battle dress, he was fearsome to see. Don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Come with me, girl. No, 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 you will kill me. I will not kill you. There's been enough killing this night. Dragging her by the arm, Hero threw Leeling into the landing boat. She tried to cast herself into the water. No, no, no you don't. You'll stay alive. No, 
No, let me join my family. Be quiet, girl. You will not die. I promise you. Who are you? Why should I listen to you? You are one of them. You killed my family. You had no reason and you killed everyone. Everyone! Hiro tied Leading's hands with a cord from his own tunic. He rode back to the Golden Eagle and motioned for his men to lift the girl out of the boat. He then swung up the ropes and stood on the deck. Hiro nodded to his men and taking Leading by the arm, took her to his own cabin. He sat her on a stool, tore off his armor and sat down on the floor in front of her. Leeling's hands were before her eyes, but she peeked through her fingers at him. What is your name? I will not harm you. Do you hear me? Today is not your time to die. It's over. You are safe. I will take care of you. Now what's your name? Leeling. Leeling. What a pretty name. Here, you are cold. Put this around you. Hiro draped a warm blanket around Leeling and stood up to look at her. Here, Leeling, is it? Here, stand up. Let me look at you. Hmm? Hmm. I thought I rescued a child from death. But you are so much more. In your eyes I see life. Fresh, young, beautiful. You are hope. Hmm. I am a father. I will take care of you. I will take care of you. I will take care of you. Do you understand, Li Ling? Little flower? You are safe. And Hiro was as good as his word. Li Ling returned with him on the Golden Eagle to Japan. Now, little one, a few months have gone by. Li Ling is here in our village, living in a pretty cottage that Hiro has purchased for her. She is still frightened by small noises and startled into wakefulness at night, full of dread and nightmares. But slowly she is becoming friends with her protector, Hiro, who visits her as often as he can. Are you well? Yes, I am well. Huh. Then what is it? Hiro-san, I am very grateful to be alive. And thank you for giving me a place to live. It is a beautiful cottage. Only... You are missing your family, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. It was a terrible thing that happened. I'm... I'm sorry, Hirasan. But it doesn't seem right that I am alive and they are all gone. Dead and gone. Hiro comforted Leeling and told her for the hundredth time that she was safe and that he would make sure that she stayed that way. War is a terrible thing, Leeling, and I am sorry for what happened. But please, my dear, try to go on with your life. No matter what happens to us, we must go on. I, too, have lost loved ones. I know what that is. But all we have is now. And now it gives me great pleasure to come home to this village and walk up to this cottage and know that you will be here. Now you are my family. <laughs> you will be careful, will you not? And do all those things we talked about. Cover yourself when you must go out and never, never speak outside this cottage. But, Hiro, I don't understand. Why do I have to wear this kimono and heavy veils over that ugly hat when I go out? I hate them. Don't you think by now that people will like me? Li Ling, people must never know you, much less get to like you. 
If once they find out that you are Chinese, you will be in danger, and so will I. Time passed. Six months, one year, two years and more. Leeling grew first to trust Hiro, and then to care for him, and she was always careful to follow his instructions. But Grandfather, wasn't Leeling a little afraid of Hiro? No, on the contrary, little one. Leeling never felt that he was above her and that she ought to be shy. In fact, they were the best of friends, spending many hours together, talking, laughing, playing. They ate food and dressed in funny clothing and lived in harmony. And then, like everything in life, the situation changed. Leeling grew older and more beautiful. Hiro realized that he was falling in love with her. At first he resisted, but then, over time, he could no longer deny his feelings, and he allowed himself to feel the joy of love. Of course, there were consequences. Kobe, Kobe-sana, come out, come out of your house, I have news to tell you. What is it, old lady Nora? What is that news that keeps me from my tea and snuff? You know our strange neighbors, that old man and his young lady? Of course I know who you mean, Nora. Everyone knows who you mean. What about them? They are not married. Obviously, they are so happy. And this is the news, Kobe. He is the famous, admirable hero Hoshidai. <gasps> no. No, you don't mean it, Nora. That is news, big news, and I think he was once a married person. Who was his wife now? <gasps> the Lady Katsumi, yes. Yes, Lady Katsumi, I remember her. Oh, she lived in Osaka in a big mansion. Yes, now she is dead. But do you remember Kobe? She was a niece of the shogun. I remember about her. She had blackened teeth and was a great beauty. So who is this little Miss Lady that is kept in our village by Admirable Hoshidai? Hmm? I wonder about her. We will find out, Nora. We will be daring and make a little visit. Come in, dear friend. We will drink tea and make our plans. Yeah. <laughs> Hiro realized that Leeling was lonely, and that, as I have told you, Leeling was the love of his life. One day, he came into the cottage from a visit in the village. Leeling was working there and looked up to see Hiro with a wriggling bundle in his arms. When did this happen? About a year after they had been together. Little son, what do you have there? The bundle quivered and sprang apart. <laughs> a puppy? A puppy? Oh, Hiro-san, how wonderful. Look at him, a little nothing. A little bit of sweetness. Oh, silly Mushu. Hiro-san, Mushu, it's the perfect name for him. I'm so glad he makes you happy, Liling. <laughs> oh, he makes me more than happy, Hiro-san. Silly Mushu. Liling looked up into Hiro's face and saw, for the first time maybe, the look of true love in his eyes. She looked down at her puppy and put him on the ground. Why... why did you give me this dog, Hiro-san? <clears throat> because, uh, I love you, Liling. I love you with all my heart. And I want you to be happy. Oh, 
I see. I'm, I'm glad to know that. Li Ling's beautiful eyes filled with tears. She looked away from Hero, and then back at him. It is hard for me to speak. Please don't try, Li Ling. Just come into my arms if you would like to, and let your heart speak for you. Only if you would like to. Oh, Hero, I... Oh, I do want to. I want to stay in your arms forever. So they were really in love with each other, not just friends. Yes, little one. The great mystery of love had been opened like a gift between them, and that love was true and good. Perhaps one day you will find it happening to you. I hope I am here to see that day. Oh, I hope so too, grandfather. But it sounds like a serious thing. I, I don't understand what love is. There's nothing to understand until it happens to you, little one. It cannot be understood by anything but the human heart. I can wait, but grandfather, don't forget to tell me about what happened on the day that Leeling's dog ran away. Well, as I was saying, Leeling and her dog were preparing to go into the garden. <laughs> Silly Mushu! <laughs> Stop kissing me, Mushu! We have to get to work and weed the garden, or Hirosan will be mad at us. <laughs> Come, let's go out. No, no, Mushu, no! No, Mushu! And not thinking at all about it, Leeling ran after her dog. And of course, old Lady Nara was watching from her own garden and saw for the first time Leeling's beautiful face. And saw that even though she was dressed in a most correct kimono, that she was not Japanese, but Chinese. Oh no, she forgot her big hat and veil. Yes, in her excitement to catch Mushu, Leeling had run out of her house unprotected. She bent swiftly to pick up her dog, who hadn't gotten very far. But I'm afraid the damage was done. Oh, konnichiwa. Oh, konnichiwa. At last I have the pleasure of seeing my neighbor's face. Oh, how beautiful you are, Miss... Uh, Miss... Uh... Mariko, excuse me. And saying this, Leeling ran into her own house. Be sure that old lady Nara lost no time in visiting her friend, old lady Kobe. Yes, I saw her. She is beautiful as a lily, and she is not Japanese. Oh, I think she is Chinese. Now we know why she hides from us and won't even open her door when we called. She must be a war trophy for Admiral Hoshitai. <laughs> that your nephew, the shogun's secretary, must be informed of this. After all, she could be a danger to all of us. You are right, Kobe. She could be a spy. I will send Bosaru a message today. Old Lady Nara was true to her word. She sent word to her nephew Bosaru, a retainer of the shogun, that there was a scandal in the village. Many thanks for the message from my auntie. I'm sure that our shogun will be interested to know of the predicament that his admiral has put on our government. He has disgraced himself. It may even mean a promotion for myself. And, of course, your honorable self as well. Of course, Hiro was summoned into the august presence of his lord, the shogun. Honorable ladies and gentlemen of his most noble and honorable shogun, please observe silence. My people, I greet you. 
Has he arrived yet? He's just now coming. Show him in. My lord. Admiral, I am sorry that this occasion has become a difficult one. For many years you have earned my highest regard. You have served me faithfully, obediently, and honorably. My lord, this life is yours. It is a pity that it should end like this. And Hirosan, you do know why, do you not? Yes, my lord. But I must ask you not to believe that I am a traitor. I would never act against you or your court. And yet, by harboring, nay, living in intimacy with a criminal member of that miscreant nation, you have displeased me beyond any saber cut, any lie, any crime. You have committed much more than an act of indiscretion. You have dishonored me. You have demeaned my rule. With all my heart, I apologize, my lord. And now, please allow me to restore your honor. With your permission, tomorrow will be my last day in this world. Hirasan, you have been dear to me. I trusted you. Do see to it that your death, unlike your life, will be conducted with suitable respect for our laws. And so little one Hero knew that he must take his own life. He was a samurai. He was bound to the code of honor. But grandfather, that is not fair. He was such a good man. That is true, little one. But he did what he felt he must. If he could not live with his beloved Liling and live with honor and with respect, he would end his life. It is the warrior's way. What did he do? He traveled from the shogun's court to his home village, our village, little one, to say goodbye to his love, Liling. Hirasan. I am so glad to see you today. I have prepared the most delicious dumplings, and I have your favorite green tea. We will eat and sit in the garden under the full moon. But, Hirosan, I am sorry I am being selfish. Your face is calm, but you are so far away. What has happened? My love. Hiro, Hiro, what has happened? Something terrible must have happened. I cannot speak of it. I know you so well, beloved hero. But I have never seen this sorrow in your eyes. It is more than I can bear. Do not look at me like that. Please, hero, tell me. I can bear anything that you may say to me. Please, hero. I am no longer a child. Tell me the truth, hero-san. My lord, the Shogun, has ordered me to commit Sepku, take my own life. But why? You are his honored man. Because, because of something I did that was wrong, Li Ling. I do not wish to speak of it to you. It is not important. But surely, Hirosan, you will not do it. You do not have to do it. Li Ling, the way of the warrior is very simple. We train for years to become the best fighting men that we can be. We are committed to our code of honor before everything, to obeying our Lord, to being detached in the face of all life and all death. That has been my error, Li Ling. I have been too attached to life. Now I must offer it up. I wish to offer it up. I understand. It is because of me. But here, San. My love, my spiritual companion, my other self, my soul, 
I cannot go on living without you. I would not want to. For my body to be alive, but not with yours, would be much worse than death. If it is your wish to leave the world, I will go with you. No, Lily, no. Yes, Hiro-san. Please respect my wishes as I do yours. If we leave this beautiful world together, we will be a part of all the stars, of all the grains of sand, of all the flowers. I will come with you. Oh, Grandfather, I don't like this part. It's such a sad story. Not all of it, little one. It is beautiful, too. For as Hiro and Liling lay together so quietly, the moonlight fell over them and covered them in silver. The spirits of Hiro and Liling awoke from their shattered bodies and rose away from the earth. And they, walking silently, climbed the silver pathway of the moon and took their place in heaven. Turning to say goodbye to the earth, they leaned their hands out of the clouds and touched these two rocks. And the rocks moved together to look in each other's faces. We call them Hero and Leeling, you know. But, Grandfather, I, I don't understand. Why is that so beautiful? Because, little one, because love, the great love that we human beings share, is forever. Because love is the source of all life, all of everything. And that love will never end, even if our bodies go away. Even though that is a sad story, Grandfather, I like it better than any story you've ever told me. Grandfather. Yes, little one? I think I know more now than I did this morning, Grandfather. That is very good, little one. So do I. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Hero and Leeling was written by Christina Armetta. Original music by Peter Armetta and was recorded by Robert Kowal. The cast are Chris Porter, Laura Faye Smith, Genevieve Winters, Atticus Wells-Mowry, Janet Penner, and David Loftus. This audio play was developed through the Writers on the Air workshop, Cynthia McGeehan, director. Special thanks to Dee Mae Roberts, Mark Rose, Marty Gallagher, Curtis Hansen, and the members of the Writers on the Air workshop. I'm Sam A. Mowry. I directed and acted in this production. Thank you for listening. Until next time, we remain obediently yours. This is Reimagined Radio, and you have just listened to Hero and Laling, an original radio drama written by Christina Jones and performed by the Willamette Radio Workshop. The voices you heard were those of Chris Porter, Laura Faye Smith, Janet Penner, Genevieve Winters, David Loftus, Atticus Wells Mowry, and Sam A. Mowry. Original music by Peter Armetta. I'll be right back after these messages. Big thank you to Craft Cannabis, formerly known as New Vansterdam, for supporting our radio community. Craft Cannabis now has two locations here in Vancouver. Both locations offer online ordering and curbside pickup. The Mill Plain location has an express window that serves as a contactless option to pick up your cannabis products. The newest shop is located on Andreessen Road, off Patton Parkway, next to the Home Depot, across from Costco. Both locations are open daily, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. More information available at craftcannabis.com.
The Community Angels at National Women's Coalition Against Violence and Exploitation have been supporters of KXRW Community Radio since the beginning. NWCAVE helps to inform and educate the prevention of violence against women and children. They have a dream, a world without violence. Learn more about how you can help at nwcave.org. This is Reimagined Radio presenting two short performances by the Willamette Radio Workshop. You just listened to Hero and Laling. Next is the Martian Death March. Written by Ernest Canoy as an episode of X-1, this story tells how Martians escape the reservation, where they have been confined by colonists from Earth and attempt to reach their former homes in the mountains of Mars. The Martian Death March provides an allegory for how indigenous peoples around the world have suffered from the inhumanity of colonists, settlers, and other extensions of states or nations. Let's listen now to the Martian Death March. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of Astounding Science Fiction, presents... X minus one. The Martian Death March. I've always been interested in lost causes. The revolt of the Scottish Jacobites against England, the last stand of the Cherokee and Sioux Indians, and the death march of the Martian Highlanders in 1997. There's been a lot written about that march. The UN Commission report covers four volumes. But the whole story isn't down on paper yet. I know it because I was on that march from the beginning to the end. There's one part of the story that no one ever mentions. The Martian Death March of 97 was led by an Earthman. Maybe you've been over the route of the march. There wasn't any highway there 30 years ago in 97. There was desert, hot, burning desert. I lived at the edge of the Kalmak Canal then with my mother. She was a prospector searching the surrounding desert with sonar probe and Geiger counter, scratching just enough ore from under the Martian sands to pay for our grub stake for the next year. I remember she was in the Adamson digger in the North Quadrant when I came running out that day. Mom! 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 There's somebody coming, Mom, across the desert. You sure? I saw them. They're a couple of miles out. Well, how many cars? They're on foot. On foot? Across the desert? Mm-hmm. Honest, Mom. I saw them. Are you sure it just wasn't a light reflection off the canal? No, it was dark against the sand. I don't like that. You run back and get the rifles out. I've got to pull the digger into the shed. Is there going to be fighting, Mom? I don't know. I've got a whole year's ore piled out back in the bins, and I ain't gonna lose it to no claim jumpers. You go back to the shed and break out those rifles and see they're loaded, you hear? And jump!
Mom had three surplus army rifles and a couple of homemade grenades made out of ore cans stuffed with Adamson A explosives. We crouched inside the shack, waiting. The shadow of the water tower in the doorway grew longer as the quick Martian dusk settled down over the desert. And there they come, Al. There's two of them. What's that on the first one's back? Well, I haven't seen one of those in 20 years. What is it? A one-man desert tank. They used to carry water that way before Adamson put out the air still units. There's something funny about that second one. Look, he's all spindly, and his head's funny. He's funny, all right, Al. That's a Martian. Oh, I never saw one off the reservation before. There hasn't been one out in ten years. Hmm. I don't like this. Here they come into the dooryard. Now you remember what I told you. Line up the sights and just squeeze the trigger. Hello! Hello there! Now, Mom? Hello? Wait a minute. What do you want? Water. I need water. Well, who are you? My name is John. John, eh? What are you doing with that spider? His name is Katalkar. I don't care what his name is. What's a human doing with a Martian? I found him in the dry bed of Kalmak Canal, nearly dead of thirst. Hmm. Probably ran off the reservation. When our brothers are caged, they seek freedom. Brothers? Those spiders? All living things are our brothers. On Mars as on Earth. Hey, wait a minute. Bert Ulstrup at False Wells told me there was a screwball hedge preacher over there hollering about letting the spiders loose off the reservations. Let no man call his own. No man, nor tribe, nor nation. <laughs> I guess that's you, all right. Bert told me they call you Crazy John. I don't suppose there's any harm in you. Fill your tank up at the air still, and uh, you can come and have supper with us. We would be happy to. We? What do you mean, we? Kantalkar and myself. That spider? Oh, no. I ain't having a Martian sitting down to eat with me. You come on through, though. Thank you, ma'am. No. Where my brother is not welcome, I cannot go. Well, suit yourself. Al, get the key to the water tower and come out here. All right, Mom. And put away the guns. We won't have any trouble from these two. When we went in the house for supper, I could see them silhouetted against the fire. The old man with his wild hair and beard and the thin spidery arms and legs of the Martian. Mom? What? Uh, are all the Martians on the reservation? Yeah, all but a couple of wild ones in the mountains up north. The patrol catches a couple every year. Why? Well, they murder people. No, I mean, why are they on the reservation? Because it's the safest place to keep them. They're pests, that's all. How many are there? Oh, I don't know. A few thousand. They keep dying off. 
Why? Well, they catch earth diseases. Chickenpox almost wiped out the whole gang of them two years ago. Chickenpox? I had that. It didn't wipe me out. Mm, you ain't a Martian. I was born on Mars. Well, I mean you ate one of those spiders. Now, eat your food. It'll get cold. Okay. Mom? What now? Were the Martians always on the reservation? Well, since the Outpost 3 massacre, they have been. What was that? Oh, back before you were born, they lived wild in the mountains in the north. Were they fierce? Hmm. Fierce enough. The only place for them spiders is behind wire. Yeah, it sure is. Out in the dooryard, the campfire flickered at the base of the water tower. The first of the Martian moons had set. The other wouldn't rise for several hours. I could hear the sand creepers out in the desert as I stood there. The old man and the Martian were sitting on the ground, huddled close to the fire. It gets cold fast on the desert when the sun goes down. Is that you, boy? You can come up to the fire if you like. Uh, my mom wouldn't like it. All right. But I'm not afraid of no spider. No. There's nothing to be afraid of. How come his arms are all skinny? All skin. <gasps> Does he talk? Yes. His name is Kantal Kar. It is, huh? Hello. Hello, boy. He talks funny. It is not my language. Why isn't he on the reservation? You can get in trouble helping spiders to escape. No man has the right to imprison the innocent. They that are enslaved will be freed. They that are in sickness and misery will be comforted. They that are exiled in a strange place will be restored. My mom says that spiders are... Treacherous, cowardly, murdering savages. That's what she says. Boy, there was a time on this world when there were no Earthmen. When the ships and machinery of Earth were unknown. Then the people of the Highlands lived in peace. But today, they are a handful, starving, dying behind the wire. But the reservation isn't so bad. Our home is in the mountains of the north, not the desert. I heard a voice which cried out to me in the desert, Go to your brothers. Do they really call you Crazy John? Uh, I've been called many things. Do you really think we ought to let those old spiders off the reservation? Boy, we die here in the desert. We die in the sun and of the sicknesses you 
have brought from Earth. That's because Martians are just weak. I bet I could knock you down myself. You could. We are a different people. We have not the strength of muscle of Earthmen. But we will not stay here to die. You won't get off the reservation. The patrol takes care of all of that. They won't let any stinking old spiders out. Ah, even in the minds of children has planted the poison of evil. How long? That night through the window I could see the flicker of the old man's campfire. He was walking up and down now, shouting, singing hymns verse after verse his white beard catching the light as he passed behind the fire. The Martian sat slumped over, his thin spindly arms folded across a huge barrel chest that had developed over the centuries as the air of Mars thinned and escaped into space. In the morning, I looked out, and they were gone. Looking back now, we wonder how they did it. The high-voltage wire around the reservation carried a fatal charge. The patrolmen in the tower had fifty-caliber machine guns. The desert around the camp was mined heavily. Yet at dawn, August 7, 1997, they broke out. I was down at the end of a dried-up canal bed hunting sandpeepers when my mother came running up to me. to the house. What's the matter, Mom? You shut up and run. What is it? The spiders busted loose. Bert Olstrom radioed in. They come in here? They're heading this way, the murdering devils. They kill anybody? Six patrolmen when they busted through the wire. What are you gonna do, Mom? Fire a keg of Adamson A across the gate. You get in there and get the guns out. I got the rifles and shoved a full clip in each one. Then I slipped a primer fuse in the homemade grenades and lugged them out to the porch. Mom was running lead wires back to a detonator from a half keg of Adamson A she'd set across the gate. There. That's it. Now give me one of those rifles. Will they be here soon? You can see the dust over the rise. Murdering spiders. What will they do? I don't know. Now make sure you get a good side, Al. Don't waste any bullets. There they are, Mom! There they come! Wait a minute. Hold up now. I want to get a good shot. Let him get closer. Mom! That's Crazy John up in front. There! He's taller than the spiders. You can see his beard. You're right. Oh, that renegade rat. He probably helped him break out of the reservation. Listen, Al, if anything happens to me, you ride out back to the shed. You can hide out in the empty ore bins till they go away. Now you got that? All right, Mom. The spider's shouting something, Mom. Probably a trick. Get down a little, Al. You're in the way. We're coming in. I got him clear now, and right in the head. Up a little now. Got him! Got him, Al! 
out! They've got guns! Get down! Get down! Get out of here, Al! Get out to the shed! Go on! Those spiders are gonna rush! Now get going! No! No, I can't let you! Shut up! Get out of here! I ran back through the house to the shed. Behind me, I could hear the Martians sweeping up to the dooryard. Then suddenly the ground shook and I could feel the dull concussion waves hit my ears as the Adams and A exploded. I could hear the high whispered screams of the Martians and the rattle of fragments on the metal roof of the shed. I dived into the empty ore bin and slammed the hatch almost shut. I sat there, waiting. Then suddenly a shadow fell across the edge of light and the hatch slid open on top of me. You leave me alone. I'll kill you. Boy, we've been looking for you. Where's my mom? What did you do to my mom? She's dead. You killed her. You and those spiders. I'll, I'll kill you. I'll kill all those stinking murdering spiders. They are our brothers, boy. Your mother shot without warning, and the fire was returned against my orders. You mean you weren't going to attack us? Our brothers came in peace. They're going home to the mountains. We came to get water for the journey. You, you mean you just wanted water? Mom! Mom! <laughs> John, the Earth Patrol will be following us soon. We must go. And the boy? We'll have to leave him here with water and supplies. No. The Earth Patrol would question him. We need the time. He goes with us. They tore the Adamson air still from the tower and mounted it on poles. They piled our supplies in the yard and loaded them on their backs. And then they started. I marched with the old man at the head, and the columns stretched out behind us in the desert. I turned to look back at our house, but the sun was behind it, blinding red. The old man pulled me around as he marched, his eyes fixed on the horizon where far to the north rose the cool mountains that were the ancient home of the Highlanders. Fourteen of the Martians died the first day. They dropped to the side of the column when they could not go any further and died. But the march went on. On the fifth day, we swung wide to avoid a mining settlement. But not wide enough. The miners were in the ambush behind a pile of rocks. Get down, boy! Get back to the reservation before I shoot the whole lot of y'all! I shall lead them home. Home to the promised rest. Home to the mountains. March forward. March forward! And the march went on. 
We wound across the desert in wild zigzags, following the paths the old man had traveled through the years. Only once a patrol plane hovered on the horizon and then shot away. The days went on, the weeks, and the Martians died. They died of exhaustion. They died of the diseases we had given them. And they died of thirst. The Adepsons still could produce 27 units of water an hour, no more. And on that, they died of thirst. Here, boy. Here's your water. Uh, that's more than the others got. Take it. It's yours. You're giving me your water. It will be provided to me. He that brings justice to his brothers will drink deep of the water of righteousness. Drink. Drink your water, boy. Across the desert from the Kalmak Canal to Fever Dip, past the towering mesas of the Higgins Badlands, across the dry sea bottoms they marched. On the 54th day of the march, we halted at evening. The air was thinner, colder now. The rations had long since been exhausted. I lay down to sleep, wrapped in the old man's coat. Early in the morning before sunrise, I woke suddenly. The ground mist that had covered the desert the night before was lifting slowly. I saw the old man standing by the burned-out fire, the vapors swirling around his legs in the cold light of the false dawn, edging his wild beard. Go back to sleep, boy. I can't. The end is near. I have led them through the wilderness, dry shod across the seas, and before us lie the mountains. You mean we're almost there? When the mist is taken from the eyes of man, the place of refuge can be seen. You mean the mountains? It's over. We're there. I have led them to their home, and I must go back to the desert. You mean... Alone? Now. Even now I hear a voice in the wind. Carry the message to the men of Earth. Bring to this new world the message of the old. All beings created in the universe are my brothers. And he that harms my brother harms me. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, boy. You'll be safe now. Goodbye, John. Goodbye. The Martians found him 500 yards from the camp, dead. Now the mist rose and before us towered the highlands, the tall green mountains and the cool sky. The march was over. Of the 7,000 Martians who started, 900 were alive. They gathered now on the rise of ground and faced the hills. Their thin bodies wavered as they stood and some dropped to the ground as they stood there but there was a light of hope in their large, staring eyes. Most of them had died, but they had died on the way home. And now, the march was over. Then the patrol planes were spotted on the horizon, and within 10 minutes, they had landed. The Martians stood silently as the squads piled out and set up the 50 caliber machine guns and the petroleum gel flamethrower. All right, you spiders. Hands up and stay together. Gather in a bunch and don't try anything. Sergeant? Yes, sir. Shoot the first spider that moves and shoot to kill. 
All right, where's that boy? There was a boy reported. Here I am. Are you all right, kid? They hurt you? No, I'm all right. John gave me his water ration. Oh, the leader, huh? Well, I've got a warrant for him. Where is he? There. He's dead. Well, just as well. I'd hate to be him in front of a settler's jury. What are you gonna do to them? Uh, the spiders? See those transport planes coming in? We're gonna ship them all back to the reservation where they belong. You can't... you can't do that! <laughs> what are you talking about, kid? You can't take them back! They're home! John said they were home! You, you can't take them back! It isn't... You, what, hey! I won't let you! Let go of me, I'm Sergeant! Peel this crazy kid off of me! Okay, now take it easy. That must be shock. I can't believe he's safe now. Yeah, I guess that's it. All right, you spiders, step it up. Move along to those transport planes. It's all over now. Uh, you're headed right back to the reservation. They separated them in groups of 50 and loaded them on the planes. 900 out of 7,000. And soon the first big-bellied ships waddled out on the hard sands and lifted slowly into the air, headed back to the south, flying over the trail of dead and dying who started on the march to the highlands, the march to home. Don't worry about them spiders, kid. We'll take care of them. Come on now, kid. You'll feel better as soon as you get back. Uh, civilization. I look once more at the green mountains towering through the mist. And then, just before the motor raced, I saw John. Crazy John, propped up against a dognut bush, where the Martians had placed him. The wind from the south gave the wild hair and beard a rippling life. He faced the hills, the home, and the rest he had promised his brothers, as he led them through the wilderness of Mars. This is Reimagined Radio, and you have listened to The Martian Death March, written by Ernest Canoy and performed for us by the Willamette Radio Workshop of Portland, Oregon. The voices you heard were those of Christopher Hart, Samuel A. Mowry, Karen O'Brien, Pat Blem, Scott Jamison, Todd Tolsis, and David Ian. I'll have closing remarks after these messages. KXRW programming is made possible by the generous support by David Dansky with David's Toys, buyer and collector of old toy trains, including Lionel, Flyer, Ives, and Marks. He is interested in buying old transportation-related toys as well as toy trains from the late 1800s to the 1960s. David offers appraisals for fellow toy train lovers as well. David's Toys can be reached at 360-576-1602. That's 360-576-1602. Stunner Boutique is a locally black-owned business presenting their first essence and vintage fashion show on Sunday, August 1st. Doors open at 4 p.m. In addition to the fashion show, they will have an after-party with a special guest performance, music, laughs, and drinks. 
This is a 21 and over event held at the VMAC Dance Studio at 116 Southeast Jamhill Street in Portland. Ticket info and more details at Stunner Boutique's Facebook or Instagram pages. And Stunner is spelled S-T-U-N-N-H-E-R. This episode of Reimagined Radio highlighted Hero and Laling, written by Christina Jones, and The Martian Death March, written by Ernest Canoy. Both were performed by the Willamette Radio Workshop of Portland, Oregon, directed by Sam A. Mowry. Sound design for this episode by Sam A. Mowry. Post-production by Mark Rose of Fuse Audio Design. Social media by Regina Carroll, Social Media Management and Photography. Graphic design by Holly Slocum Design. This has been a production of Reimagined Radio. Our live performances, web streaming, and radio broadcasts of sound-based storytelling are heard on local, regional, and international community radio stations. A big thanks to listeners whose contributions support programs like Reimagined Radio. If you would like to help support radio storytelling, please visit your community radio station's website and engage with the Donate button. For more information about episodes of Reimagined Radio and to subscribe to our snappy program guide, please visit our website, www.reimaginedradio.net. That's www.reimaginedradio, all one word, no punctuation, .net. You can follow Reimagined Radio on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Join us on social media for behind-the-scenes looks and special information we provide about each episode of Reimagined Radio. This is John Barber, producer and host. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and that you will join us again for another episode of Reimagined Radio. Thank you for listening to Thursday Thrillers right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual Feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase bringing you the very newest in audio releases from our United Artists of Audio right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>